This is Owen Tinder Jones. I'm Owen Vaughan Williams. This is Tash Harden. And you are listening to the Owen Tinder Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I am here, as ever, with Ruth. Hello, Ruth. Hello. Ruth is joining us, as ever, from Silver Falls in Oregon, and uh, we're going to be doing a fairly comprehensive podcast today on the draw. Um, Everyone's very exciting travel plans. We're going to be talking about our opponents. We're going to be talking about the tournament in general, as well as discussing some important Welsh news, uh, as well as also talking about the women's game that we have been threatening to talk about for about a month. Uh, Ruth, we'll start off with the uh, the draw. How do you think the draw went for us, and uh, and what do you think of our opponents? First glance, I was fairly happy with the group, and then the more I've thought about it and investigated various qualifying campaigns of the of the other teams, I think we've actually ended up in quite a tough group. In in what sense? Well, obviously the Italians. Went through without losing a game. Won all 10, actually. Um, they seem to have got their act together after the after failing to qualify for the World Cup. Mancini's, you know, bringing some kind of organisation to them. Um, I do wonder whether playing at home might actually backfire for them. They strike me as the sort of team that Perhaps in a pressure situation at home, they don't necessarily come off off best. You look what happened in those Sweden playoff, the Swedish playoff game, for example. Uh, but obviously, they're on the rise. Uh, you can't qualify like like they did without without you know something going right. Um, Turkey have gone from ranked almost fortieth um, twelve months ago in the world to literally just behind us at the moment. They took four points from France uh, in the qualifying, although they did finish behind them, but they took four points from France. They let in only three goals in the whole campaign. Young, very dynamic team. I think they'll be tough. Um, and I think being in Baku may feel a little, you know, it might be not actually a home advantage, but clearly their fans are going to find it easier to travel to Baku than ours are. Um, and the Swiss... Again, they seem to be, you know, getting their act together. Um, they've gone up to ranked twelfth in the world right now. They topped Denmark in their qualifying group, scored nineteen goals. Admittedly, a lot of those against Gibraltar, but scored nineteen goals. So it it looks like a hard group. I just, I, 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 it's certainly not an easy group. But I think when you qualify for a tournament like this, you know, the depth of of quality in Europe is massive so I, it was never going to be an easy group with that said I do think kind of context is important because if you look at the alternative first of all we would have been playing Russia at home and we saw in the World Cup how well they did when they were at home we would have been playing Denmark at home and we know for our own personal experience that they're they're a good side at home um, albeit at the moment to be fair slightly on the wane perhaps um, and a few key players for them out of form and then a Belgium team who I know, you know, we all kind of laugh and joke. We may be their bogey, bogey team, but they're still a good side. I feel with this, you're right. Italy, 10 out of 10 uh, in their qualifying group. But of all the top seeds, 
I think they're still a team I would have chosen to play compared to Spain, Germany, France, England, etc. Um, I would also say that if you look at the group that Italy qualified from, 10 from 10, and I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not belittling 10 from 10. It's an incredible achievement. Finland, admittedly, qualifying for their first tournament, great for them. Greece, Bosnia, Armenia, Liechtenstein. Now, for a team like Italy to go and beat those five other teams, sure, you've got to go out and beat them twice. It's not like they've got a, a group full of Brazils. Do you know what I mean? And I, th- and I, I would say similar about the Swiss. Looking at the Swiss group, as I just casually scroll through trying to fill time, um, their group was Denmark, Ireland, Georgia and Gibraltar. Okay, Georgia can be decent. We found that out to our cost in the last campaign. Republic of Ireland, yes, they've improved a bit under Mick McCarthy, but are still, to all intents and purposes, toilet. Gibraltar conceded 31 goals in eight games. So really the Swiss have kind of had tough games against Denmark and Ireland. And of that, they have won five games. Now you bear in mind, and I appreciate we didn't have the the hardest group in the world, but it certainly wasn't easy either. We played against the World Cup finalists um, and we only won one fewer game than them. So I, I don't think that Switzerland are too much to be concerned about, in my opinion. I think they were the, they they're obviously a decent side, and I think they're just they just topped a fairly shitty group. Turkey are the ones that I I agree I would be worried about. Or, although again for context, they won seven games. Admittedly, one was against France in Turkey. They also drew in uh, in France. They also lost and drew to Iceland who, again, whilst a decent team, are not exactly Brazil. They've also had in that group Albania. And, you know, I know they beat us in a friendly, so we'll gloss over that. But again, not exactly a world-class side. Andorra and Moldova. So, yes, they are obviously capable of a of, a, of an upset or, or a good result. But I don't think that just saying, yeah, but they beat France. I, I don't think that matters for much when it comes to it. They're obviously a decent side, but I, I, I don't. I, I think in context, they're not necessarily amazing. I, I do think it could have been a slightly kinder draw to us, but I also think it could have been a damn sight worse. I would agree with the latter. And going back to your first point, um, I think I would still rather this group than the, than the possibility of the Russia-Denmark-Belgium combination yeah. particularly when you consider two out of three of those would have been playing they would have been playing at home so i think this this is a, a better option i think the fact that we've also ended up with two games in baku that we don't play the italians till the third game when it's possible they might not be looking for quite as much um uh, as they would have in a in you know in the, say the first game of the three uh, so i think where I see the best part of it for us is actually how the games have been organised, the order and the where we're playing, uh, I think has actually turned out to be the most advantageous part of, of their, that group for us. I do think it could end up, much as our qualifying groups have been lately, with pretty even a pretty even spread of you know wins and draws across the group. I think it might end up being one of the groups where the third place team doesn't make it. But because, for example, everybody's going on about the Portugal, Germany, France group, 
whoever is third in that group is still probably going to get enough points to make it to make it through. I don't know. I, I think from memory of the Euros last time, I thought a lot of it came down to goal difference. I think in reality, what's going to happen is there's going to be. I actually think that one of those that group with those three teams is going to be the least likely to get there because I can see a lot of those tight games between very good sides ending in draws. Whereas I think I can see Wales, for example, beating Switzerland, for, you know, for argument's sake, drawing with Turkey, then we've got four points. I, equally, I can see, uh, I don't know, again, let's stick with that group as an example, but a Portugal um, maybe losing to France and Germany and winning their one other game against whoever that the, the, the playoff winner is in that group and coming third in the group. So I actually think the the more balanced amount of quality in our group would, would benefit us in that sense, as long as, and it's a big if, we do have to win um, our first game. Well, have to is a stretch. We have to beat either Turkey or Switzerland. Yeah, obviously we've got, yeah. I think four points would be the minimum that might get you through in third place in any of these groups. Um, I was worried about the goal difference part of it coming into play in that some of the groups that have got the, you know, say you've got the the C League Nations League team in your fourth position thing. It, it, it's bizarre or, that that sounds like it doesn't make sense when in actual fact it makes perfect <laughs> sense. Or the D group. I can see the goals being rucked up against those teams, which is where the goal difference for those third place spots might come into play. No, I, I follow the logic. I think, I mean, I, I was going to moan about something else. I'll come to the to that later. But I think that we've, I, I, do, I do think that sort of thing does go in our favour, the points wise. And I, at, at that point, then the, the goal difference to kind of doesn't matter so much. Um I think the biggest farce of it all is we've done a draw for a tournament where we don't actually know all the teams are yet. <laughs> we've made a big fuss of doing this whole bloody thing, so we do it in a short amount of time. And then we're going to wait five months before we do the playoffs, by which point everyone's booked their flights and their you know tickets have gone on sale and everything else. And then six weeks or whatever before the tournament starts, these poor sods are going to have to be going through you know Skyscanner trying to find the cheapest flight deals to the arse end of nowhere. Um, I, it's it's a you know I'm I'm glad Wales are qualified. Obviously, it's, it's a given, and then you know we'll come to our travel arrangements later. But I think it's an absolute outrage that we've done this draw and we don't know who all the teams are. I think it's an absolute outrage that we knew if we would have been in Group B or whatever, Group Two, that we would have already known who all of the other teams were going to be. And I think it's an absolute outrage that we know that two teams in that group are playing at home. I think it's an absolute shambles. Yeah, I mean, there's a a lot of questions about the whole organisation of the of the tournament, isn't there? If you if you wanted a pan European tournament, you could have done it in a much tidier, easier, more logical way than this. You don't need this number of locations to feel that you're having a pan-European tournament. I think the idea is silly anyway, but you can do it in a, in ways that are so much better than this. And, and as you say, the most ludicrous part of that is the fact that you've got, we've got till March bef- before we find out four of the teams, uh, you know, that's of the, of the six groups, you've got 
four of them that don't actually know what they're doing, where they're going, what they're doing. And that's just absolutely ridiculous. When you consider that the Nations League started, what? I think it was 27 years ago now, wasn't it? Um, The whole thing is a farce. The biggest thing that I hate, to be honest, is that we have picked the strongest nations in Europe to host. I don't have any problem with that. I think it makes sense to have these well-organised nations who are used to holding big tournaments and big events, holding matches. I I have no problem with that. Like you say, with the pan-European thing, if you want to do it, stupid idea though it is, whatever. How they then get to also benefit from being a home team is insane. Because England, for example, I think if they got to the final, they'd only end up having to play one, maybe two games away from home in the whole tournament. And I think one of those would be in Dublin and the other would be in Amsterdam, depending on obviously the path they take. So England are in a a home tournament to all intents and purposes where all of their group games will be at home. The semi-final and the final, should they get there, will be at home. The only away games they'll have to play, one would be in Dublin, which is, you know, what an hour flight and want to be in Amsterdam we could probably swim there from London like it's an absolutely mental circumstance and the fact that then this situation um, also benefits Spain Germany Italy big 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 countries in European football and they're getting a big benefit from this and I don't care what anyone says this is this tournament is designed solely so that the big nations can go far in the tournament and we're going to end up with Holland who also have got home games by the way um, Spain, Italy, Germany all of these massive massive nations playing in, in the last in the last eight and I don't care what anyone says I, I, I would say it was probably an inconvenience to the tournament organisers that Portugal played Wales in the semi-final no one wanted that, <laughs> no one wanted that in the last Euros, people wanted to see Portugal play Belgium or Belgium go far or whatever and plucky old Wales turned up and you know pissed on everyone's chips and whilst it was fantastic for us I bet Michel Platini you know when he finished counting his dodgy cash was um, you know absolutely furious at the circumstance so I honestly think a lot of it is to do with making sure that we have this incredible tournament where all the best players in Europe are playing in the in the latter stages and, and teams like Wales and Iceland and whoever else have got Bob open no open it was interesting. I re- was reading UEFA's report today, looking forward to the next round of Nations League. And they actually openly admitted that one of the reasons they've got rid of friendlies and I go with the Nations League was financial. Oh, yeah, because it makes people want to go to these games now, doesn't it? You know, like our, yeah, our pops but I, came I, out I found today, it interesting right? that they were that upfront with it. Like they're not even trying to pretend anymore. It's the whole thing. I don't want to get too far down um, down a dark, uh, a dark <laughs> corridor here um, before we get sued. But I, I, I do think <laughs> I do think it's a bonkers circumstance. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's actually concentrate on the football because that's what we're all here for. That's what we're all excited about. Um, I do think the travel thing for us is a massive benefit, uh, football wise, um, in that we do get two games in in a short space of time in the same city. Um, and again, you know, get into Baku and say we had to do Baku, Rome, Baku, that would be absolutely horrendous. And I would also say that in terms of kind of creating a base for the players for those first two games, which are definitely going to be the biggest or most important in terms of getting points, we could probably set up a base a solid few weeks in advance there 
um, knowing that that's where our first two games are going to be. Everyone can get acclimatized to the weather and the time change and all that other stuff. Um, and it gives us a chance to build a proper base somewhere in Baku and get ourselves ready for those two massive games. To the point then where almost um, the Rome game becomes like a, a stop off on the way home to go in somewhere else. Um, and we can kind of choose somewhere centrally in Europe to locate ourselves after that. So we've still got the opportunity to kind of get a good facility somewhere in Baku first. Does that make sense? Or have I just waffled all the way through that? No, no, that makes perfect sense. I think that's one of the key advantages of the way the group has fallen out for us, that um, w- the fact that we can get to Baku, you know, a week before the tournament starts, spend a good fortnight based there, um, and as you say, treat treat Rome as a as a stop back to a more central location in, in Europe. Well, there you are, FAW or Ryan Giggs, if you're listening. Um, that's your travel arrangements made. I will take a small uh, more small commission there. Uh, I don't charge much. Um, you had uh, an interesting point to make regarding the small time frame as well um, for the for the tournament and how the qualifying panned out, um, where you think that it's really, again, benefited the, the larger nations. Yeah, looking at the introduction of the... Um the Nations League, and then the qualifying for the tournament. By having both elements, UEFA have kind of truncated the qualifying process down to just seven months. I mean, obviously, it feels like it's been going on a lot longer because of the, the teams that are now in the playoffs through their Nations League standing. But yeah. the but the base the basic qualification for for the Euros was done in seven months um, between March and November, and I. Th- think that this has a definite advantage for for larger nations because if you're a small nation who you know are basically perhaps perming from 14 players at any given time as opposed from a genuine 23-man squad an injury or two has huge impact i mean our very obvious case is the fact that aaron ramsey didn't start again until the last one um Brooks has Brooks has missed a big chunk again. Yeah, Chester's missed them all. Didn't Rodden Chester's only start been. once as well? Maybe, maybe twice. Yep. And so the, I do think that there's something to be said for how this has enabled this. What you might think of as your standard big football nations. There's none of the big teams are missing this time. You know, we've had Holland miss tournaments recently. Italy missed tournaments recently. Every big name country is there this time. There's been no surprise misses. And I do think that the uh, shortening of the qualifying window has negatively impacted smaller countries, not particularly helped bigger countries, but negatively impacted smaller ones. I think it's a fair point. What I will say is, I think if the whole thing had been done in a way which meant that we could get the tournament um, sorted out and then do the playoffs almost straight afterwards in January and then do the draw, I think I'd have less of a problem with it um, because at least it's all finished. But And I I think the excitement level also helps. I think it probably helps them make more money. People want to go, don't want to miss a game because it's it's only in six weeks that we're travelling away to this place or that place. So I think that helps. Um, And it kind of builds excitement for a tournament in a tournament year, which again, I kind of like. But... There is no argument that it, you know, the negative impact it's had on smaller teams. Absolutely, I mean, 
Brooks, I think we said, has started once. Um, obviously, the situation with Ramsey, like you said, and there's many other examples as well. So I, I, I do think it has benefited the larger nations in that it has hindered the smaller nations. Um, yeah, if you look at the teams that were ranked in pot one and pot two as they went, went into those the 10 groups that became the qualifying groups, the only teams that were ranked one or two that haven't made it automatically by finishing first or second are Iceland and Bosnia-Herzegovina, who must be two of the smallest footballing countries in the continent. Bosnia were ranked as number two? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Finland pipped them. Turkey pipped Iceland in that group, and then Finland pipped uh, Bosnia in, in their group. I'm just looking at this, actually. Bosnia actually came fourth in their group behind yeah. uh, behind yeah. Greece. I didn't realise that. Um, anyway, then that is fascinating, and I think if you look through... I mean, there's also some kind of tough groups there. If you're a mm-hmm. if you're a if you're a larger nation, like for example, Belgium and Russia were in the same group. Um, the France Turkey Iceland combination is a tough one. But then there's some weird groups, and I guess there's nothing you can do about it. The way it's kind of fallen out. But one of the groups: Poland, Austria, North Macedonia, Slovenia, Israel, Latvia. I mean, you'd bloody love to be in that group, wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> Ukraine, Portugal, Serbia, tough group. Um, and then, of course, England, who always managed to get themselves a cushy little number. England, Czech Republic, Kosovo, Bulgaria, Montenegro. Bastards. Anyway, um, <laughs> I did just want to say one more thing about the pots, because this has really, really pissed me off. To further kind of compound the misery of the smaller nations and the nations that are hosting, the way that the pots have been drawn is nothing short of ridiculous. Wales are in pot four, despite being ranked higher than I think I read six other countries who've qualified. So that's annoying, but fair enough. We we can also look at Portugal, who are the current champions. They hold the trophy, we're in pot three. And France, World Cup champions, in pot two. What an absolutely bonkers way of organising it. And it is purely so that the host nations get to stay in the tournament longer, no question. The ranking was based purely on the points earned in the qualifying groups. So there was no waiting for your world ranking or anything. It was literally the points you got in those qualifying groups. So Ukraine ended up in part one because they they topped their group and played well, but they're behind us in the rankings. What there about actually... France? The bloody world champions only lost yeah. once, topped their group, they're in pot two. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you were taking the winners of each group, then obviously you, you're starting with 10 groups in qualifying and you're making it down to six for the tournament. So that, you know, something's got to give somewhere. But I don't understand why you can't have a rankings element, perhaps you weight it so the, the teams that have been very successful in the qualifying rounds are, you know, there's an advantage to them for being very successful in the qualifying rounds in terms of how that impacts in the rankings. But the fact, um, if you just base it on rankings, we're ahead of Ukraine, Russia, Turkey, Austria, the Czech Republic, and all the four teams that are going to come through the, the qualifying rounds. We're ahead of all of those in rankings, and yet we end up on, in the fourth pot. Um, 
we are doing a lot of moaning about something we're supposed to be very excited <laughs> about, which I'm, I'm very conscious of. So we will go back to talking about football, uh, which which makes a pleasant change. Um, just to go back to our opponents very quickly, um, Italy yeah. have done very, very well. Obviously, Mancini has, has done a great job since he's come in there with quite a youthful team, um, who I think the ben- the benefit for us I can see of that was that there's a relative lack of experience in the Italy team. Um, obviously, like you said, they didn't qualify uh, for the last Euros um, and as a consequence I, uh, that obviously is going to be a benefit to us in, in terms of experience and them playing at home I also agree with what you said about them playing their last game at home because if they go and beat the other two teams there's kind of almost nothing on the line for them going into that last game which could be a, a massive bonus for us Yeah, it, it might be the route you know, at that point they may be playing for the for their route into the the round of 16 so you know it could go either way um but i do think it's a real plus for us to be playing them in the third game um and hopefully the pressure of um playing at home perhaps won't won't kick in in that game in the way that it might in some other games for them but they they're clearly getting their act together they you know they you've got everybody from Cialini, who's you know still running the show from Central D somehow despite his age, um, and some use, um, some much more useful players. And Mancini has been kind of sliding in progressively during the the qualifiers. Um, they play a very possession based game. I mean, they'll be hard to break down for for any team. I think. No, I agree with you, and I think they they will definitely be a threat. They've got goals in them in in players like Immobile as well. So uh, I think. They're definitely going to be a threat, and I, I, I just think that playing them last is a is a big bonus for us. Uh, looking at the Swiss, they've got a few kind of uh, names in their team who might be familiar to, to Premier League uh, viewers. Lichsteiner, who's obviously played for Arsenal, Xhaka, um, also an Arsenal player, and Fabian Scher, who is, um, apart from the most handsome man in the Premier League, a, uh, a Newcastle <laughs> centre-half, who's a, got a brilliant range of, range of passing. I find the way they set up quite interesting. They play a kind of a 3-4-3 type formation uh, with wing-backs, with one of the central defenders, often Scher, who's a very good passer of the ball, kind of stepping into midfield when, they, when they're when they in possession um, and trying to kind of pin balls, um, ping balls across uh, people's back lines and kind of hit teams on the break due to his passing ability. Um, and I think people like Xhaka, who is obviously a, a talented player, if some, sometimes wayward, um, is obviously a good player in the middle of midfield for them. So again, they're not going to be, they're not going to be a pushover um, and they have got quality in their team, but I, I don't think there's enough around that that team and squad in general to be honest that will kind of terrify our players I think we've got more kind of exhilarating and, and worrying players for them than they are for us if that makes sense yeah I can I can understand that I just think their experience may come to play um you know they qualified for the last Euros they qualified for the World Cup they you know they're a very sort of stable well organized um tournament ready team as it were and I, I think that might be their biggest uh threat actually no i think you're right there and, and they're definitely not going to be a pushover um but i think 
of all the teams there, they are certainly gettable, and they don't seem in the best of form looking at their at their group and some of their results. Obviously, they qualified, so and they were top of their group, but like I say, they only won one more game than us, and they were in what I would say is a much easier group than us as well. So I, I, th- I certainly think they're gettable. I think the fact that we're kicking off with them as well might help us. Um, the fact that we've we've got them in the first the first game, uh, where probably both teams will be pushing for a win, um, and that might actually suit us against against them. Oh, massively! A team like that, we can we can kind of use our our powers if you like on the break against. I think will be will be a threat. Um, the Turkish side um, remind me in a way of us under Chris Coleman. In that there's no kind of real superstars in the team, but there's a lot of good players who kind of work together, who will get stuck in and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of a very close knit team and, and work hard. Um, and I think they're decent from set pieces, from what I've seen. Um, and I think they'll be the team who I think will give us the most threat. But like I say, if we can get a draw against them, I think that they'll be a real. Um, that'll be a real bonus for us and obviously puts us in a great position in the group. I think that's a good analogy, actually, to us maybe five, six years ago when we were, I mean, we're a young team now, but that that version of a young team um, who were building something together uh, with a good management structure. It's interesting, they've, you know, it's been turned over recently, but it seems to have been done in a thoughtful way. Um, and... You know, you don't keep eight clean sheets in a ten-game qualifier without you having something about you. No, I I couldn't agree more, and I think they are definitely going to be a a, a tricky team to, to to play against and 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 break down. And as you said, very very good defensive record as well. Um, I think the game being in Baku might turn it into a bit of a home game for them as well. I think that crowd dynamic might be interesting in that in that particular game no I, I think I think again I think I think you're right in that and I think that's a fair point I, I I do wonder how many of them will do the traveling though because I, I think aren't they in Rome first yeah but in the way that I suspect quite a lot of our supporters might just be going to Rome for one trip if you were Turkish, you might just be going to Baku because you're going to have trouble getting, with the Turkey-Italy game being the opener as well, the tickets are going to be harder to get for their Rome game than for our Rome game. So maybe a, a trip to Baku is, an Istanbul to Baku is relatively short journey. No, that's true. You are right there. Um, I think all in all, we've got to win against Switzerland. And I think a point against Turkey and then just take our chances and see what comes out against Italy. Yeah, I th- I'm, I'm just a bit worried about whether four points might be might not be enough. Am I right in saying that there's only two of the third place teams don't qualify from the group? Yeah, it's four of four of the six. Because you, you're going to make 16, haven't you? So you're making... Oh, I see what you're saying. Six, yeah, yeah. six, six winners, six runners up, and four third place teams. I just don't think there's a way. I, I mean, someone with better math skills than me will be able to say, but I'm pretty sure that surely, if you get four points, 
I'd imagine you can't get any more than four points and come second just because of the maths of that situation. I don't know. I'm not even going to try and go there, Dave. <laughs> don't you think? Because if you get more than four points, you will have had to have drawn at least, you would have got a point from every game. Yeah. So by definition, someone else will hasn't. have hasn't, so will have lost out. So the maximum you can get if that other person has drawn all three games is three points. My head's going to explode. Um, <laughs> it's three points, sorry, not three games. So I think mathematically, four points would see us through regardless i'm sure i will have a complaint about that so please let me know maths fans um what the uh what absolute nonsense i'm talking there or whether there's any relevance to what i'm saying anyway um a few other things to talk about um aside from the the pots and the teams hal robson carnu has thrown his hat back into the proverbial ring of late um he was obviously liking a lot of stuff on uh, on Twitter over the last um, month or so in the build-up to the to the squads and the games. So I don't know whether the Irons were in the fire before then, but he said he's open to returning to international football. Um, what do you think about that? And, and would you would you take him, I was going to say, uh, to a host country? Would you take him to Baku? But no, would you take him all over <laughs> Europe? Um, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I th- it seems that obviously we haven't had one clear statement on this, but it does seem that his reasons were important, personal, genuine and personal reasons. And that hopefully that situation has eased. Um, I think perhaps if he's been, you know, perhaps all along it wasn't quite a retirement as much as a, you know, don't consider me for squads, but if you really, really need me, perhaps, you know, 18 months in the future, let's have a discussion. You know, if that's how it was set up in the first place, I think that's rather different than just kind of pulling the plug and retiring. And then here we are going off to the Euros again, and and suddenly he's, you know, jumping up and down and saying, me, me, me. I, I do think those are two quite different scenarios. Um, At the minute, I probably wouldn't add him to the squad, but I think if his form keeps going the way it has been at West Brom, he would certainly have to come into consideration. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I think form-wise, as you say, if it continues, you can't not take him. Like, you know, I, I know it would maybe raise some questions with some of the players, but... I think he would have earned it on on merit in terms of his performances. So I think you'd have to take him. Would I be pissed off if I was, I don't know, Tyler Roberts, for example, and I got dropped? Yeah, maybe. But by the same token, if we're being brutally honest here, there's only one actual striker in inverted commas who has contributed regularly in the campaign, and that was Kiefer Moore. And I say regularly, four of eight games, really. Um, Vokes didn't do anything. Um, Bale in his games up front didn't do anything of note so I just don't think you can't take him and I would only take him just to be clear as like a plan B I wouldn't want to kind of mix things up a bit uh, too much I think he would just be the plan B if we need someone to come in and late in the game and play off more and run the channels and generally be a menace like he did in that Slovakia game the opening game of 2016 that's what I would use him for 
I don't think he should start or anything like that. But in we have said since we have been recording this podcast, which is incidentally over three years now, I think. Um, I think we have always talked about needing a striker, needing someone who's going to get us goals. And at the minute, Kiefer Moore included, he's the only Wales player who is scoring goals regularly. So I just don't see an argument why you wouldn't take him. I don't. I don't know. You see, I'm. I'm. I might plump for Bradshaw ahead of him, based on current form. Isn't the argument then the same though that he's not contributed anything to anyone? If he's on current form, yeah, but surely Hal scored I more goals. I think that there's slightly different argument where someone hasn't been chosen to be part of the squad because your manager has not chosen them to be part of the squad, versus someone who's who themselves has chosen not to be part of the squad. I know what you're no, no, no. I do, I do know what you're saying, but I don't think that would again using the Tyler Roberts example. I don't think that would console Tyler Roberts. Well, at least Bradshaw wasn't hadn't retired from international football. You'd be pissed off because you hadn't gone. But I always find that argument an irrelevant one because if you're pissed off, all right, good. You know, I get that, but you're not there, so you're not spreading that negativity onto other people per se because you're not there. Um, I also think that. I, I take your point about Bradshaw. He's in decent form, although I do think that's dried up in the last couple of weeks. But with that said, Hal has got experience at the highest level. I would say he has scored three of the most important goals in recent Welsh football history. The goal against Belgium, obviously. The goal against Slovakia. Um and although it didn't turn out to be key at the time, the goal, that goal against Moldova um, in the, whilst we were trying to qualify for the World Cup, some massive, massive goals that have had real positive implications for us. And again, I just don't, I don't, to me, there's no reason why he shouldn't be going. Yeah, I would just rather we pick the best 23. Yeah, that's exactly my um, point, yeah. So... I think the only part of it that makes me a little bit wary is if someone has chosen to walk away, if someone has chosen to retire, you do need to understand their reasons for that, I think. You know, the dummets of the world, we, you know, I just would never want to see him near a squad again because, I, you know, I feel like he's been, you know, putting two fingers up at us for years frankly i mean at this point and even i would agree with you there <laughs> um whereas hal i think the reasoning was a very different scenario so i don't have the same qualms about his involvement i will say just in the balance of being devil's advocate that someone pointed out to me on twitter that he it was being reported in the scottish sun or something like that so already there's a black mark against it but that he had been reported as having an affair and whilst everything that happened with his baby was obviously awful and a nightmare he kind of in a in a media pr sense perhaps kind of not used that but it people talked more about the the family issues he was having assuming that it was the problems with his child when a family issue could still be um 
you know, his having, he's having, he's had an affair and his wife is not happy about it. And that's obviously causing problems at home and she doesn't want him to, to go away and he doesn't want to leave his family because of all those things. So I appreciate there's a lot of ifs, buts and maybes in there. And it's not particularly a theory I subscribe to, just pointing that out there. Um, but there are more kind of cynical people uh, who are entitled to that view that they think he only actually pulled out for kind of more selfish reasons and that's their reasoning for him not wanting to be in the squad now whether you believe that or, or not is a, is a different argument it's not something i pre- uh, prescribe to um but it does show that uh, uh, across our fan base it is not a unanimous kind of black and white decision um of mm-hmm. yes he's good enough you should be in there's kind of a wider a wider element to that as well yeah, and I think I think that's fair enough. I th- I think you think, you know, you've advocated strongly that you wouldn't want Tom Lawrence in the squads recently, for example, and you know that's based on your um, your views on his actions. Um, and I think if other people have got different understanding of Hal's actions and different views on his actions, then people are going to come to different conclusions. No, and that's true, and I and that's fine. I, I had a long and interesting conversation uh, with someone. I forget who now. Sorry, I should probably go back and check on Twitter about that. Um, and it, it you know, it, it is interesting. Obviously, the kind of the broad spread of opinions. A lot of people saying, "Why do we need to look backwards?" You know, we've got a young, exciting squad. Why do we need to put him in? I would just say that Tyler Roberts hasn't scored for us. Bradshaw hasn't been anywhere near a Wales squad for a, squad for a long time. Sam Vokes has barely played this season, and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the last time I think he scored for Wales was that consolation goal in the in the heavy de- get defeat against Spain in the Millennium Stadium. So, if you're looking for who's the next in line, if we want a Plan B and do something a bit different in a game, I would take a lot of convincing that it's not that it's not Hal, personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going around in circles. Well, I say we. I am going around in circles. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did want to just bring up something you mentioned earlier about players who um, uh, haven't contributed, and would we bring them back? The big one um, is James Chester, and I know in very, very different circumstances, and I'm not uh, not not claiming the two are similar. But I did see he was on the bench for Villa a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week. hasn't hasn't played since, but he is starting to come back trail. Is he someone who you think could make the squad? Assuming that his injuries settle down, that he's playing, you know, reasonably regularly for yeah. Villa. Let's let's assume all of that's, you know, it's a. I mean, clearly, if the if the games were next week, he wouldn't be part of the squad. Given, you know, you're not worrying about that till early June. Um, He's, you know, he's got the best part of six months to get some game time in. I, I would, assuming he was the James Chester that we have had uh, playing for Wales, I would be including him. For me, I, 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 again, assuming everything is all as is, you know, in terms of his fitness or whatever, I, I just don't think he's going to have enough time let's say for argument's sakes he starts playing next week I don't think he's going to have enough time to get back to a level where 
he was, having been out for such a long time. Plus, if we assume that Rodden uh, continues to play the way he is when he comes back from injury, and obviously Mepham continues what I think is fairly decent form, although I will say I did see him against Crystal Palace last night, and he was not great on the ball. But assuming that he kind of keeps playing to a high level... I'm just not sure it's worth disrupting that partnership at the back or what we hope will be our long-term partnership of Mepham and Rodden. I think that's hopefully the long-term partnership, but Rodden's out injured. You don't know what's happening there. Mepham's form, as you said, is a little bit iffy. Um, Giggs doesn't seem to rate Ashley Williams. Uh, James Lawrence started playing again at St. Powerly, but you know, he's not facing terribly tough opposition there. Lockyer and Char- Charlton looks to be about the most stable of of that in terms of, you know, the, the, the view from the coach and the playing time that they're getting at the he's minute. Certainly next off you the know, rank, I think if he? Chester was suddenly playing 90 minutes most weeks for Villa, I don't think you could overlook that. Particularly if Rodden either takes longer than expected to come back or, 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 you know, has trouble coming back. Perhaps it's a bit hit and miss on his form initially, that sort of thing. That might come into play as well, of course. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I, for me, if we're looking at it kind of pragmatically, I think in reality, it's going to be one or the other of Williams or Chester. I don't think he'll take both just for kind of sentimental reasons. Um, and as you say, he doesn't seem to fancy Ash. So I think it'll be one or the other. Yeah, I mean, I think they would be included probably as backup if they were to be included, wouldn't they? Because they, he seems to fancy Mep and Roden as, as the pair, really. That's what it looks like, although we've actually seen them play together so rarely. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out, and we're gonna—we've already discussed doing a podcast further down the line about um, uh, picking a squad of twenty-three, which uh, I've come—I've picked my squad about three times, and both times come to thirty players. So I'm not sure, uh, not sure how that's going to work out. But it's, it's a positive problem to have, relatively speaking. I think uh, in the last squad, there would, that you could quite easily argue there's one or two players who were there very much for the ride. Um, when we took them because we had to take 23, whereas in this instance, I think there's going to be people really disappointed they've missed out. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to have players in the crowd um, watching the games who, you know, yeah, will feel gutted that they're not part of it, definitely. And as you say, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, and a, and a rare problem to have from Wales' perspective. Um, looking um, <laughs> at other kind of injuries and stuff around us, I read something that Brooks is supposed to be out initially for 12 weeks and is obviously still out and um, has gone back to see the the specialist um, who we saw in the first instance about his ankle injury. So that doesn't look promising, but hopefully he can be back soon. The the big initial worry is that Ben Davis has got ankle ligament uh, damage. So he looks to be set for a considerable spell on the sidelines, which is especially a shame considering how well he's played for Spurs. He was a captain at a couple of points um, in Pochettino's last couple of games as well. So... It's a big, big miss for us that. And so we've really got to hope that he is is back and firing uh, ahead of the Euros. Yeah, and I know that the initial report from Spurs was that they were evaluating it to see if surgery was needed. And it's been, what, maybe a week, 10 days now since the injury. And that 
that news hasn't progressed. You know, it hasn't progressed into him. He's had surgery. So I think it's a good sign that there hasn't, that doesn't seem to have come to the point where he's needed surgery on it. But obviously ligament damage can be so unpredictable in terms of your recovery um, and can be quite difficult to recover from as well. So I hope there isn't a pressure to to rush him back there as well. Because Mourinho did seem to, I think it was only the first, it was, was it his first game that Davies was in, injured in? I think um, first or second, yeah. Yeah, but it, I thought it was interesting that he started him and, you know, did seem to favour favor him in the talk before the game and talk about the squad and that sort of thing. So just hopefully there isn't a, a mad rush to get him back either. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, if anyone is qualified to talk about an- ankle injuries, of course, Ruth, it is, uh, it is you. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to move on ever so slightly, you just still stick at the uh, defensive part of the pitch. Um, we have, of course, seen Chris Gunter play a full game of football for Reading, which is a rare treat. Yes, very good news. I know people I can't see, it. but Ruth's face is an he's lit up at the mention <laughs> of Chris Gunter playing football again. I did find it interesting that suddenly Mark Bowen is there as a manager and, and you know, outrolls Chris. I, don't, I, I find it difficult to see that as a coincidence. I, was gonna, I, I think Mark Hughes is going to play up front for them next week. He's got, <laughs> he's got nothing to do. <laughs> to be honest, they, they could do worse. Uh, yeah, that's minute. true, actually. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, great to see him playing again. And, obviously, we've talked about lack of cover for him, uh, for Conor Roberts, sorry, at right back. And it would be interesting to get him playing again. And I don't know whether Giggs would consider giving a Chris the starting berth again. I'd be surprised. But um, to have him as a genuine competition and cover if he keeps playing is, is a massive bonus for Wales. Um, having less fun at club level is uh, Gareth Bale still adhering to the Wales Golf Madrid mantra. Um, although I will say that man has... like ice in his veins and gives zero shits about everything that's going on there which I find deeply amusing I don't know if you've seen the video I I tweeted it I retweeted it last night of him warming up and all the crowd booing him people are flicking him the middle finger calling him all sorts of stuff in Spanish and he's just warming up laughing chatting away and having a bit of banter with a coach who I think has been sent out to warm up with him as kind of a bit of his protector Um, and he just doesn't care he's just laughing it off um, mm-hmm. And I think it shows his kind of mentality and really hammers home that whilst he is doing the absolute best he's capable of, and I believe that in a Madrid shirt, all of this stuff, he just doesn't care and thinks he's, he's kind of the, the, the pantomime villain there. Whereas here he's kind of nice, cuddly Gareth Bale is such a such a funny contrast. And it's great to see that he seems as kind of amused by it as uh, as we are as fans. Yeah, I think... The- the irony is that he seems to be the one person that's actually being relatively professional through this whole shenanigans, you know, whether it's Zidane saying publicly things that your managers just shouldn't say back in the summer, regardless of what's going on in in the background and deals and transfers and that sort of thing. You should You should not be throwing your players under the bus the way he did. Um, you've got... Uh, Miatovic, you know, saying things, admitted that he's never even had a conversation with Gareth Bale yet, you know, supposedly spouting his priorities. You've got AS then misquoting him and uh, 
you know, adding things in in their tweets and their news reports that he didn't actually say at all anyway. And 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 AS passing it off as they said themselves, we put out a mostly innocent tweet. You know, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, that reception's it seems really innocent, doesn't it? Yeah, no problem. There. <laughs> Like, really? Um, and yet, bless him, Gareth just seems to be getting on with his football. It's all he can do. It's all he can and do. And right, rightly so, because he's, you know, he's been given a lot of stick. His manager's told him he's not wanted, yet here we mm-hmm. are. And, you know, I don't know. We don't need to go back down this road again, but I think we're all <laughs> we're all in agreement there. Um, one thing I do want to talk about that we haven't mentioned so far is the Wales women's game. Um Due to personal commitments, and we very much appreciate Tash Harding's efforts, um, she couldn't uh, unfortunately come on record with us. So um, we'll we'll have a quick chat through the game now. I'm not sure, Ruth, how much of the game you saw, um, but of course it was Northern Ireland nil, Wales nil. Yeah, didn't get to see much beyond some um, highlights, to be honest. Uh, looks like we had opportunities, um, and you know another somewhat frustrating game really i think i think frustrating is the word i think i man i was i was fortunate enough to to watch the game i was disappointed to be honest in the way that we played we were really struggled to keep the ball um Repub- uh, northern ireland's high press kind of was really effective on us we kind of panicked a lot and a lot of misplaced passes lots of passes that were too hard or too weak or not quite in the right place Yet we still f- somehow found a way to kind of grind out some chances. Um, I mean, we had three glorious chances to to score to score a goal and win the game, and all three of them were wasted. And that lack of um, clinicalness—I don't know—I don't know how you say that—that um, that word um, has really haunted us, as it did. Um, in Newport when we played them as well in a sense and we had a lot of good chances in that game that we didn't make the most of we certainly didn't make the most of our kind of dominance of the game although I wouldn't say we were the dominant team per se in this um, I felt that the we were missing Tash massively I thought we missed Jess Fishlock massively we seemed to kind of play like four up front or just supporting Kaylee Green sorry behind her and Sophie Ingle was left to do a hell of a lot in in midfield on her own and she did admirably I thought she played really really well I thought she was our best player on the day but couldn't do everything on her own we looked vulnerable on the break I thought we I got I got to be honest so I say I think we were quite poorly set up um in the game and it was only through hard work people like Megan Wynn who played very very well who kind of kept us on the front foot in the game, which was obviously the plan. Um, I do want to just talk quickly about Laura O'Sullivan. Um, and I feel like I probably wouldn't be able to have this conversation with you, Ruth, if we had have got uh, Tash on. But she is a baffling goalkeeper to me in, in a lot of ways. First of all, she's a very, very good shot stopper. At the start of that Northern Ireland game, the opening couple of minutes, she made a phenomenal save um, after, after a cross. And tip the ball around the post the brilliant brilliant save yet i would say in all of the last four or so games that wales have played she has shown that she's got a got a cla- a got a clanger in her um 
got away with one again in the Northern Ireland game this time, but of course her dropping the ball under pressure from across cost us the the equalising goal against Northern Ireland in Newport. Um, she almost did something similar against um, the Faroe Islands. And I worry that people are kind of starting to to target that against us, kind of stick the ball in high and see what she does, because she does seem to kind of struggle from crosses. Um, and I wondered whether you uh, whether you agree with me on that one or not. Yeah, I agree with you. I think um, I'm sure we're not the only people that have noticed it. Um, I would imagine some work is being done on that, uh, both within you know the goalkeeping coaches, but within the defensive um, five as well. Of you know how can we protect that? How can we cut down the number of crosses that are coming in? As you said, she's she, her shot blocking is particularly strong, so it's it's that high ball um, coming in from the from the wings that seems to be the the I think Achilles' heel is too strong a thing, but she has more trouble with that than the shots. Um, but you know the nature of an identifiable problem is you work to find a solution, don't you? And you know they've got a lot of um, a big gap now before their their next round of games, and uh, I would imagine that uh, there's lots of for all of all of them, for, to be honest, across the whole team. I'm sure people you know go away from. Um, from games and, and training sessions with, uh, you know, we'd, we'd like to see you work on X, Y, and Z. And I can't imagine she's the only person that that may have uh, some things like that to be working on. True, true. And I think it's worth pointing out now that if we kind of write off the two Norway games, just hypothetically, I'm not saying we'll get nothing from them, mm-hmm. but if you look at the fact we've got Pharaohs and Belarus at home, win both of those, and we will be second in the group. So... Um, I do think, and that's without getting anything from the Norway game, so I do think we've got a great chance of being in the playoffs now. I do think it's kind of a slight missed opportunity in that we could have gone into those Norway games thinking that if we could have got a result out of those two games, that could kind of put us in an automatic qualification spot, whereas second place is uh, is straight into the playoffs, which does worry me a little bit again, but that's a story for another day. Um. But all in all, I suppose we've got to be positive in that we're still in the hunt. We're still second in the group. Um, we still haven't lost a game. I think the, yeah, I think the fact that we've got three home games to come as well is important. Um, you know, that might... Uh... Um, I also wanted to ask one quick question, and I hope you can remember, Ruth, who sent us this in on Twitter, because I can't. Um, but does anyone think, do we think that it's kind of a, a coincidence, if you like, that... Um, Oshan Roberts leaving the job and Wales kind of almost having an upturn in form since then um, has kind of partly contributed to Giggs feeling like he's got a bit more freedom to do what he wanted in the role and has um, helped us kind of turn a corner and that's nothing against Oshan of course but um, more that it's allowed Giggs to maybe feel a bit more of his own man I did actually make a note of who posed that so we'll, we'll give them credit well, we can. It was from Wales Golf Maths, um, who is at seven at seven puzzle. So thank you for that. It was, I mean, he said himself that he was playing devil's advocate a little bit with the question, but it did get me thinking, and it kind of followed on from a question that came up from uh, Wales Football's fans last podcast about. Um, 
About Rob Page, yeah. About Rob Page's contribution. Um, and it got me thinking, actually. The two questions got me thinking. And I did start to wonder whether Oshin's involvement... Without it, I don't want to sound critical of either um, Oshin Roberts or Ryan Giggs, because I think a lot of this would just be subconscious. Um, that when you're when you're trying to work with someone who interviewed for the same job as you and didn't get it, is clearly part of the establishment, is incredibly popular with the players, is incredibly popular with the fans, that must be a somewhat awkward dynamic, even if you're just internalizing that, even if everybody is very professional and and you know that all the professional interactions are appropriate, that you can see how that might just leave you, if you're the Ryan Giggs character in this, you know, just a little bit less than 100% comfortable with the team that you're working with. And it's not anybody's fault. I think it's a very human thing. So I do, I did get the question did make me wonder whether um, they perhaps tiptoed around each other a little bit. Yeah, that and, was my and impression. So, and so Oshin's departure just just removed that element of the dynamic. And maybe he was more comfortable with Rob Page. He, he was probably in a lot of Wales squads with Rob Page over the years. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's helped. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting one. It's an interesting question. I, I would tend to kind of agree with your logic that the tiptoeing around each other thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm, I think if I was voting, I would say I don't think it made a difference at all. But I do think it's a sort of an element that we hadn't really covered before that might have been a factor. I think I know. I think that is a very succinct way to say uh, to say to say what we think. Um, another question we've had in is from Steve, which is at oh god. At Mirko Bolsan, I had to double look at that and something else just popped on my screen just as I said that, um, on Twitter, which is, which Wales player will be, be in the Panini sticker album but not in the final squad? What a great question. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, I hate to think, because that, that means someone's got injured probably, doesn't it? Ooh. It could mean that, yeah, or it could mean that. Oh, I was I wasn't thinking about it that way. I was thinking about an, an older player who they yeah. assume might be in the squad, like a, an Ashley Williams, for example, who, yeah. who then doesn't make the cut. I think I think at the minute, I this again. It was a discussion we had at the end of the last pod, wasn't it? That whether Ashley makes the squad be, because of the fact that Giggs doesn't seem to particularly want to play him. I mean, I think most of us would still want to see him there from the experience point of view. He's just such an exceptional captain. Um, but I think right now, that's probably who I'd plump for to answer that question. But I hate the question. <laughs> I hate it and love it at the same time. Um, see, Ashley Williams is what I was going to go for. I uh, Someone has responded on Twitter, um, uh, Mike Jones, who has said Ben Woodburn, but I don't think Ben Woodburn would be kind of high enough profile for them to have got a photo of him, put it on the sticker album. No, He's not been in a squad no, recently th enough, you know? I think he might be the sort of person, ironically, that's not in the sticker book, <laughs> but somehow strangely squad. makes the squad, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that would be brilliant. Um, oh, I'm just trying, I'm really trying to, trying to go through things in my head there a little bit, and I can't, I can't really 
put a name on it. I'm going to say, because I don't want him to go, but also uh, I can see him getting dropped, is is Tom Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. So, see that. Steve, that is my answer. Uh, mm-hmm. Tom Lawrence. I think we have covered everything that we wanted to cover. Okay. So, with that said, oh, we were nearly under an hour. <laughs> so close. We were one hour, sure four we minutes. I'm sure we can find an edit in this, an tidy enough edit into this somewhere. I don't think I think everything we've said there word for word is invaluable and uh, and I don't think anyone would want us to cut anything out of this one one hour four minutes uh, waffle um, so we will leave it there ladies and gents um, unless there's anything else you want so to no add no five minute rants no five minute rants this time then eh I think I I think my rant wasn't five minutes this time uh, on, on UEFA and Michelle Platini's corrupt um, horrible <laughs> personness but um yeah, but you know, I've kept my rants to a minimum today, I think. Um I don't know if we'll do another podcast before Christmas. Um, but hopefully we will come up with something funny and festive to talk about before now and uh, eating lots of mince pies and drinking port. Um so we, we should do, we should do some sort of review review of the year, team of the year or something like that. Oh yeah, we did that last time, didn't we? Yeah, okay. There you yeah. are, ladies and gentlemen. An ad hoc decision has been made, and we will do a <laughs> review of the year, team of the year, player of the year, funniest moment of the year, um, and in the festive spirit, we'll do it when we're drunk to uh, to really to really really set yeah, it off. Put, you, know? you could put some Twitter questions or Twitter polls out and see what see what the listeners make of some of that stuff. Yeah, I like that. Plus, we're coming to the end of the decade as well, so I don't know whether we want to do yes. Something, uh, you know, who's your favourite player of the decade? I don't know. I'm probably going to edit a lot of this out. But anyway, we are going to do something <laughs> for Christmas, ladies and gents. Um, so thank you very much for listening. Um, don't forget to listen to our podcast uh, on football and racism, if you still haven't listened to that, uh, with uh, with our friend Stuart Awadali. Good luck, everybody, trying to get tickets and sorting your travel out for, for the games. Um, I hope you are successful. And I hope I can see some of you out in Rome. Viva Gareth Bale. Thank you very much for listening. Good night. Bye-bye.